everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Nehra. All right, today's topic is titled Ayushman Bharat and its viability for private healthcare players. So, just to give you guys a brief background as to why we are chatting about this, a few days ago, uh, uh, I had I had also coincidentally read a similar article in the Times of India. It was titled Ayushman Bharat not viable for private healthcare players. This was twelfth uh, of December and. Uh, uh, Dr. Amit Tharani had also co- read the same article and co-tweeted it. So I reached out to Amit and I told him, Amit, uh, I think this is a very important subject and let us talk about it. And Amit, as always, is kind enough to come on the podcast. So Amit, thanks for coming. So thank you for calling me, Kushal. And it's always fun to be on a podcast with you. The discussions are quite meaningful and, you know, we get something both ways out of it nicely. <clears throat> All right, Amit. So let's start here. Uh, I know sometimes people go under the assumption that obviously people must be knowing what Ayushman Bharat is, but I am going to start this podcast with the assumption that the viewer of this podcast does not know what Ayushman Bharat is and why we are analyzing this very specific scheme and policy of the government of India. So my first request to you, Amit, is please explain to everyone who's going to be either listening to the audio version or going to be watching this video version, what is Ayushman Bharat? Ayushman Bharat is the world's largest mass health insurance scheme as of now. And uh, basically, it's uh, got two components. One is the National Health Protection Scheme and one is the Health and Wellness Centers. Okay, So they, uh, the idea is that the National Health Protection Scheme takes care of the admissions and indoor requirements and the Health and Wellness Centers take care of the outpatient requirement, you know, mainly uh, and uh, concentrate on health and wellness uh, along with just primary care uh, treatment right now what the government has done in this is basically they've taken an earlier scheme which was called rashtriya swasthya bima yojana rsby what it's called this rsby was launched initially in 2008 with the aim of uh, you know uh, creating exactly what ayushman bharat has actually created that they uh, said that we will uh, uh, create a hospital network. There will be an insurance company which will pay the bills of the patients who are treated under that uh, network. And uh, they had a target of uh, empaneling about, just let me see. So around... uh, Five or six crores, they had initially said that this is the amount of families that we are going to cover. Now, under this scheme didn't work well. Okay, there are hardly about uh, uh, you know 12,000 hospitals initially. All enthusiasm hospitals rushed into it to uh, join the scheme, and within five years, most of the private hospitals had left the scheme. Uh, we'll come to that later on as to why this happened. And uh, the target beneficiaries were around 6 crore families, as I said. That 6 crore number was expanded by a huge amount to about 10.74 crores under Ayushman Bharat. And uh, uh, the coverage as far as uh, RSBY went never really rose. And the maximum they could achieve was about 
62% of the coverage, which means just around maybe three and a half crore families could be enrolled under it. Now, as opposed to this, Ayushman Bharat has eliminated the problem of enrollment completely by using the 2011 census as basis for automatic enrollment. So you, anyone who is BPL on 2011 census automatically is on the list. I know 2011 census is outdated as of today, uh, but automatically the enrollment problem was completely eliminated, but by default, everyone is on it. And uh, later on, even they expanded it further by integrating these lists with the state. Uh, you know, each state has its own health scheme, so to speak. So to expand it further, the government further made it more flexible that, okay, we integrate PMJY with your existing uh, state scheme also. And the central government will pay uh, most of the funds in that. Like, for example, uh, about 60-40. So 60% of the funds actually come from the central government. About 40% come from the state government. But in the hilly terrains, the northeastern Himalayan states, and in the, maybe you can say Delhi, uh, union territories with legislature, 90% of the funds come from uh, the center and 10% from the state. And those who are complete union territories with no legislature, 100% funding is from the state or from the, from the center only. And uh, th that's basically the model and how it, uh, it goes. Now, the structure of Ayushman Bharat has got two options which were given to the states that you can adopt either of two options. Right? You create a trust. You had, had appoint uh, fund managers basically, and the funds which will be coming like 60% from the center and 40% from the state will come into a trust, and the state will manage that trust. Uh, basically, the premiums which are collected will be disbursed to the beneficiaries who are applying for uh, the scheme uh, based on the uh, you know requirements. The other option was. The insurance company will step in. Insurance company, you uh, the state will pay the insurance company to the uh, uh, the premiums, and the insurance company will do all the management of the policies. So these were the two basic things. Many states initially opted for the trust model, and later on, we're finding now that more and more companies, uh, more and more states are shifting to the private insurance model for whatever reasons. You know. Uh, whether they are not finding it easy to manage or whether private insurance companies are more efficient or whatever. So many of the models which were there initially trust also are moving to the private insurance model, which is like lowest bidder model, typically our L1 model, which is used everywhere in the government. Now, this is where medical associations are heavily objecting, uh, you know, that uh, you are getting into private insurance model. Private insurance person will always try to make money in the middle you'll always have uh, less money available for the treatment. But the flip side of it is that the trust model, you will kind of sometimes do overcompensation of the treatment and spend a lot more money. And plus, we know how efficient government is at actually using funds, right? So <laughs> that is another problem. So the efficiency of private enterprise versus, uh, you know, public spending for public costs. These are the, this is the, one of the conflict areas which uh, many uh, medical associations have with uh, Ayushman Bharat. Now, what the government has done is about 1,500 uh, packages of treatments were created, which are medical treatments, surgical treatments. And uh, these packages were offered as a lump sum amount, uh, you know, to the hospitals for the entire treatment. So the hospital knows exactly what they will get for the entire treatment. Now, there are serious issues with these packages. We'll come to that later. But broadly, let's put it this way, 
that they took 2011 CGHS rates, 2011 CGHS rates, which are used in Mumbai, right? And then they got went down on that 2011 rate by another 20 percent, and introduced that rate as, yeah. And introduce that Inflation. rate. Inflation government ki calculation mein nahi hoti. Huh? Idhar hai. Kar sakte ho. Sab kuch kar sakte hai. <laughs> and that is where the viability factor basically comes in for hospitals. So we'll come to that. It's very interesting that still most of the network hospitals are private. I will say about 55% private and 45% government hospital. In the network, what are government hospitals doing in a network uh, like this, where government hospitals were already supposed to be free patients, right? People who are going to government hospitals are already going to be treated free of cost. They've they've always been receiving treatment free of cost. So why do you need to run the scheme in a government hospital which is already free? This is another question. So these are various various uh, issues which are there with the scheme. But the main question is why. Large scale uh, treatment availability is not there in the majority of private hospitals. When net net, you can say that you know there are there is a surplus of beds in urban areas at least. Uh, so why is there not a more widespread you know acceptance by the medical community? It is working well in maybe tier three cities. Tier one and two also you will find not many private hospitals are doing it. You'll find it running in charitable trust hospitals. You'll find it running in medical colleges, but you will hardly find any purely private hospitals doing Ayushman Bharat. Okay, just I I would like to intervene here, Amit. So it, uh, to to make sure that I've understood you completely. So RSBY and Ayushman Bharat. To begin with, the major difference A first is the amount of coverage that was given. RSBY gave X coverage. Ayushman Bharat has definitely increased that coverage. Second is the amount of people that are being covered. Also, there was a definitional issue in the previous one, and they have kind of fixed the definitional issue. So now that we have covered that, but now I want to get into something very specific right so you just said that they they chose the 2011 price rate as the baseline they gave a rate that is below the baseline now i'm going to try to give you the government's ag uh, argument uh, uh, whether we call it a devil's advocate or whatever we want to call it but i'm just going to try and give that so the government is going to come and say that private players make a lot of money private players are are uh, what word should I say? They are they always work with a motive of greed, and uh, they want to make more and more money and more and more money. There is enough. There are enough ways, and then you'll find some random person saying, "Look, we find we found this hospital charging X Y Z for this scam." Blah 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 blah. So that is going to be one reason. But now let us stick to it. As you said, that most private players do not want to get into the scheme but that's fine but even amongst as you were uh, so first uh, i would request you to tell me even amongst the ones who are part of the scheme there was something that shook me when you told me offline that major chunk of that money also goes into very specific surgeries so let's start there can you share that data first yeah so you know uh, the large number of claims which are there 2.2 
about crore claims which have been registered under Ayushman Bharat till date, right? It's very interesting to understand the bifurcation on which this money is being spent. You know, now uh, you would probably not believe that around forty percent of the all the claims, all the amount which is spent on Ayushman Bharat is for one procedure which is dialysis. So that's really massive. I mean, I mean, the problem of renal failure in India is is huge, of course, and dialysis is an expensive treatment, about twenty five thirty thousand per month on an average per person. And uh, I will say, you know, the the amount of people taking dialysis facilities through Ayushman Bharat is crazy. It's it's a lot. Dialysis patients have benefited hugely, but the question is that. Does dialysis constitute forty percent of the entire workload of the country? Obviously, it doesn't, right? But that one procedure takes up thirty-nine percent technically. But okay, you can take it as forty percent of all the resources under Ayushman Bharat. So this is one big question mark as to why it's so disproportionate. The next biggest chunk is general surgery in absolute numbers. 27% of cases but as far as payouts is concerned it is nowhere in the even the top 5 or top 6 that's how low the packages are right the next biggest contributor in the specialties is urology which is there right general medicine is also about 18% so the, the see the uh, basically the uh, cost of the treatment is a major constraint but dialysis especially does very well because there are many people in dialysis doing charity work okay there are big hospitals there are big dialysis centers that are being run left right and center which were uh, you know at very very nominal rates so this is a th- all all across you know there are various dialysis centers that is that have been paneled and they are running the scheme right i know even the one of the hospitals i am attached to which doesn't have any other thing uh, as far as uh, pmjy is concerned has two dialysis machines for pmjy right <clears throat> so that is one thing which is doing well under ayushman bharat but it's it's disproportionate like cardiac surgeries is just 5% of the total uh, business uh, total number of claims the revenues for cardiac are 27% and again about 79% of cardiac surgeries are done in the private setups rather than the government setups now why is there such a disproportionate thing now in private i will say there is a there is also another problem we face that the procedures which are even a little bit reasonably viable are not allowed in private setups you have to go and get them done at government hospitals so you know that makes it even more challenging like for example out of the 1500 procedures in maharashtra around 500 procedures you can't do in a private hospital you have to go to a government hospital only to get it done so government hospitals are actually doing good business with ayushman bharat because earlier they would get nothing and each patient was an expense for them but now they have some spare income from these you know so government hospital facilities what they can offer other patients is better but then it's you know the government putting money from one pocket into the other pocket right <laughs> the role uh, the uh, the ambition of this scheme was that we will uh, you know create a lot of additional players as far as hospitals people will open 
many hospitals across the country so that you know catering exclusively to ayushman bharat patients that's not happening that's not going to happen and the breakup is, is it shows why it won't happen because most of the things are simply not financially viable why it becomes viable for medical colleges because someone else is paying right the medical students are paying why it becomes viable for charitable hospitals because they get charity from others and because the government is forcing them to take it the government is saying that you are, we are giving you land for the subsidized rate we are giving you water at subsidized rate so you have to take it otherwise we'll cancel your license <laughs> so the reasons why they have taken up the scheme are not because it's viable but because someone else is paying for it and that's where ultimately it comes on in mumbai there are hardly two or three purely private hospitals who are running pmd now i won't say anything more than that but at least one or two of them have been repeatedly blacklisted also by by various government schemes because of financial you can say frauds but every single time they have to let go of it and restart the scheme in those same hospitals again and again why because no other hospitals are willing to take up the scheme so it's kind of a case of you know pay peanuts get monkeys you know kind of situation and that's what it is okay then uh, then in such a scenario it's it's clearly a case that uh, that the scheme you no know, as they say it doesn't matter how good your intentions are uh uh at the end of the day a policy is as good as its implementation in the end and how good it ends up working and so so i'm not doubting the intentions of the government i mean any government that aims to give healthcare to the underprivileged people should be applauded whether it's congress bjp it doesn't matter but the point is when you fo- formulate a policy it's about the second order effects the third order effects it is quite clear that private hospitals clearly are not interested in taking this up from whatever um uh issue issue is there and it's not like the the scheme previous to ayushman bharat was a huge success either it it is quite clear that the the that there is this discrepancy as you created three categories here right one is the purely private hospitals the second are the medical colleges come hospitals and the third are the charitable trust come hospitals so these are the three categories that are there and they seem to so now let us get into the solution bit amit so let's start over here so obviously you gave three specific solutions in that tweet so i'm going to ask you about your first one where you said number one declare any profit made from it tax free now what did you mean by that see these rates are so low that no hospital is going to make a profit on it you understand so if a, you know these schemes are not the government knows that the tariff is very low they keep telling people right that uh, think about the larger good for the society but the fact is that any income from this scheme is taxable they are going to deduct 10% tax they are going to while uh, you know 10% tds while paying your claim in this meager amount also the, the entire income what you get out of this is going to be taxable the entire funds going to the doctors whatever they get whatever they get i mean it's literally whatever they get because they may get 1000 2000 rupees for a very big surgery even that amount is taxable so why would anybody be interested in doing the cases right so you incentivize it by saying that okay we will 
forego the tax at least some incentive has to go from the government side saying that okay we'll give you a tax break i'll give you an idea why i'm saying this you know i have taken some uh, you know you know surgeries where you will understand the kind of packages which are there under this scheme you know uh, now we have a surgery like a right a big surgery like a bone tumor where you are going to remove and excise and do a bone graft right you know what's the package amount this is a surgery which in a private hospital will cost around 3 to 4 lakhs because it involves a lot of super technical expertise it involves a uh, cancer surgery it involves a stay of 10 12 days it involves a bone graft which you are going to have to procure from uh, you know either a cadaveric bone or a prosthesis the prosthesis cost itself is going to be massive you know what's the package 20000 rupees 20000 rupees yes now if you are doing a flap a free flap right what is called as a free flap uh that we call it maybe a not even a free flap you can say it is a flap reconstructive surgery that's a supra major surgery right it's a, it may take as long as 10 hours the the package rate for a flap is 20000 rupees it's 7 days of stay including at least 7 days of stay including at least 2 to 3 days of icu stay including medicines stay surgery aane jaane ka kharcha 15 days after surgery ka kharcha including what is patient before admission uh 3 din tak jo bhi test wagera kiye uska kharcha now tell me how viable are these rates right a surgery like a thyroidectomy right which is a, again a supra major surgery which will at least cost 70 80000 bucks is the, the total package is 17000 rupees right so these How are the kind of work in this yeah dnc which is a very common gynec procedure with it's 3000 rupees it's under anesthesia my what will the anesthetist take home what will the surgeon take home what will the hospital take home and what will be the pharmacy cost involved aur aane jaane ka kharcha bhi isme dena hai photographic evidence bhi isme dena hai aapko how is it possible i mean this is kind of you know doctors i am telling you from personal experience doctors consult a thing when they look at these rates they consulted an insult to their profession that such rates are even offered to them this is a fact they consider it insulting to be offered such rates because obviously kya milega usko i mean he sits in his opd and sees one patient and he gets 7 800 bucks or yahan par is going to do a surgery take the entire medical legal risk which doesn't go away the medical legal risk still stays the same right you still pay tax on whatever you are getting you get your payment after maybe 6 months or 1 year and what do you get at the end of it 300 400 bucks why will anybody be interested so this is why i said that at least what the person is getting you let it go as tax free income so at least the hospital gets whatever 5 600 rupees wo to kam se kam non taxable ho right at least the doctor whatever he makes from these scheme patients whatever minimum min- minuscule amount considering you know you're saying that okay uh, you do some charity then you treat it as charity right why was the problem in that 
yeah okay so now let's get into the second one that you raised you say you should allow this activity as a csr i did not understand this how would you go about that yeah so you might see the the trust model uh, which many of the uh, insurance which many of this was followed under the scheme when you form a trust you can take donations right so when the states of state and center is getting together to form a trust which will administer the policies there is going to be a shortfall they can enable uh, you know the big uh, corporates to donate to that uh, cause so they are going to be treating a large number of patients and that additional funds are available then that funds can be used to at least give the hospital some decent uh, you know remuneration which is workable financially you know one is that second is uh, the corporates can directly uh, you know pay for medical treatments uh, you know and let that come under supposing the treatment is being done at a private hospital right it's not going to be allowed under csr but if the person is doing an ayushman bharat if this if the company is funding an ayushman bharat patient in a private hospital that should be allowed under csr maybe they will they'll not allow it under other things but for ayushman bharat patients if some company is sponsoring a treatment at a private hospital they can allow that also under the csr so then you know there will be some other person third person paying for the funds uh, for the patient and it will become somewhat viable for the hospital concerned you know uh, for the treating team concerned i just have a query here so what you're trying to say is let us assume the there is a surgery x now surgery x under the ayushman bharat tariff cost 100 rupees um and that is not viable so what you're saying is let's say the government bears the 100 rupee cost and then there is a csr activity that comes parallel to uh, that and adds maybe 100 or 50 or 25 depending on the surgery and that makes it attractive and viable for the private hospitals to take it on right so you revise the tariffs no so revise the tariff and create alternative ways of funding your scheme is what i'm saying Yeah, but then don't you think the government is never going to do that? <laughs> That's because they've been told that the scheme is viable. One look at it, and you know that this is not workable. I mean, come on, even in a rural area, this is not workable, right? <laughs> so, I mean, material cost will not cover it. <laughs> so I don't know why they have this thing that this, these are workable rates. They are simply not, and 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 there is no logic or you know real. They say we've done extensive cost calculations. It's humbug. Nobody's done any cost calculations. People who don't have to run an establishment must have done those cost calculations, right? And there is a huge additional cost involved, by the way, for hospitals to run the scheme. You need to have a full-time doctor who's going to go to the field and get these patients enrolled and uh, recruited. You need to have a social worker, right? Right. You need to have a, a internet connection, a computer, and a network. You need to have additional manpower deployed at a counter in your hospital, right, for handling these patients. And if they are coming round the clock, then you have to have a person round the clock. You need a separate accounts team because to account for these patients is really problematic. You need a separate person to follow up on the payments. So you are talking about at least eight to ten additional people whom you have to recruit. And it's not that you can manage with your existing manpower. No way. You have to have at least eight to ten additional people, or उनकी सैलरी भी नहीं निकलने वाली है इनसे. 
so you know how how is it uh, going to work out unless the tariff is revised you know i am saying that to create additional funds you know the government has to think of uh, creative ways one one way you said that uh, they say that whatever amount x you know companies matching that amount in contribution will you know be that a fund will be treated as csr but the easier way will be just to revise the tariff and accept donations you know then you can at least pay others if you are saying that we don't have enough funds with this is all that we can pay then you create additional avenues for that income you disconnect the private insurer model completely but private insurer model won't be discontinued in fact as i said earlier that most of the states are actually moving to this model and uh, you know it's going to get worse for you realize what happened under rsby scheme why 12000 hospitals came down to 8 and a half thousand and why 3 and a half thousand private hospitals walked out of the scheme within 3 years they had not been paid for more than a year sometimes 2 to 2 years the charges i already told you the charges were yeah it, it, they don't even even the cghs schemes and all they don't pay एक एक छोटा छोटा पॉइंट निकालेंगे पांच रुपए का मिस्टेक कहीं पे होगा वो पकड़ लेंगे और आपका पेमेंट गया छह महीना सो यू नो दिस इज वेर द थिंग्स आर एज ऑफ नाउ सो यू हैव टू इंक्रीज द पे आउट वन सेकेंड यू कैन इंक्रीज द टोटल फंडिंग विच इज देयर राइट एंड अलाउ मैचिंग कॉन्ट्रीब्यूशन सपोजिंग यू डोंट वॉन्ट टू पे एट ऑल फ्रॉम योर इंश्योरेंस स्कीम द वॉट एवर एक्स अमाउंट ऑफ ट्रीटमेंट इज देयर some other corporate will sponsor that treatment let them pay and you just you create you you allow them as csr so the money is not being paid by you the money is being paid by someone else right hmm okay so let me let me play the devil's advocate again over here so somebody might come and tell you amit that you are misunderstanding the ultimate aim of this scheme the ultimate design of this scheme is a it is a volumes game because when you treat people in huge volumes the the economies of scale crop in and uh, so hear me out here i'm going to try and give you a detailed uh, reply to this the as and when the economies of scale come in you have a case where economics 101 prices should come down so you know all these private hospitals should be in a position to take care of that number 2 the aim of this scheme was not to design it from the point of view of the hospitals the aim of this scheme is to uh, to design it from the point of view of the patients the patients the poor people in india um and and all those places also what if you know somebody says that maybe it is not running well in maharashtra but there are states in india where these uh, uh, these uh, these schemes are running well so in those cases amit so i've given you a detailed answer what what might come from the other side what would you tell that then so now as far as this argument of economies of scale goes it's a false argument as far as healthcare is concerned and i'll tell you why it's a false argument because if i have x number of patients right my doctor to patient ratio doc nurse to patient ratio right icu nurse to patient ratio are prescribed by the government already fixed okay so if i have 20 patients today i require in a ward right maybe 18 i can say you need you need three nurses right one for every six 
you need again one for every 10 you need a doctor right if in the icu then you need one is to two so one uh, nurse for every two patients and this ratio does not change irrespective of what the patient is paying you get me you have fixed ever increasing overhead cost which is going to increase as much as your volume increases so your salary burden will increase your electricity bill water bill will proportionately keep jumping up because the more number of people are there the more the electricity the more the water utilization is going to happen right it's only your maybe land cost and your emi cost which doesn't change but your other expenses will keep rising in proportion to the number of patients that are there in the hospital so economies of scale is good for manufacturing in a service sector like ours which is so labor intensive it makes very little sense to claim that economies of scale are going to kill you revise the norms and you allow people to violate this patient doctor ratio then things will work but if you want to maintain you know the and it's not uh, i'm telling you government hospitals don't follow this ratio it's only for us government hospitals mein maine kaam kiya hai sin hospital mein 50 patient ke ward mein ek ya do sister rehte the these rules are only for private players where where are these rules being applied for the government themselves the government hospitals you show me which government hospital has got one nurse for six patients no hospital will be having you show me one government hospital which will be having one is to two ratio in icu not one of them will be having it and they know very well they, that kind of ratio is not possible also right it's not financially viable also unless you are running houseful you simply cannot afford it even to pay the bill right so as far as cost is concerned the cost is going to increase in a linear manner as far as uh, these schemes go and the more number of patients you have the higher is your running cost there is no economy of scale if you are making a small loss in one patient you will make a big loss in 10 patients and that's it you are not going to make money out of this scheme at some point you may think that you are going to make some money but you realize that your payments being held up for 6 months or 1 year and primarily you already faced a tax deduction up front which you have to wait for another year to you get your tax refund right do saal to tumhara paisa waise bhi nahi aane wala hai koi bhi scheme aap kar lo itne kam rates mein do saal paisa nahi aayega to koi chala nahi sakta right that is one basic thing now second thing designed for patients if it's designed for patients then patients should have the option of at least going to multiple hospitals for treatment right why should a patient who is enrolling for these schemes because he doesn't want to go to a government hospital he wants to go to a private hospital and get treated right 70% of all hospitals in the country are private hospitals he wants to take treatment at a private hospitals but your scheme allows him to take treatment only at a government hospital which is already overcrowded and overburdened how did you benefit him right if you are saying that the scheme is to benefit patients it is to benefit patients no doubt i'm not saying that it's not benefiting patients it's benefited a lot of patients especially as i said dialysis patients uh, cardiac surgery patients and a few other specialty patients have uh, you know some uh, cataract surgery patients there are patients who have been benefited by this scheme definitely but when you look at the way that it could have potentially been beneficial and you look at uh, what's actually happening i mean there is i don't see any reason why you should say that okay these 600 in tamil nadu 680 procedures can only be done at government hospitals right 
private uh, hospitals can't do uh, that kind of numbers that is literally you know 45% of all the procedures that you have listed out so you know you you get my point that whatever procedures are financially viable you won't allow those procedures right but what are not financially viable you're going to expect private players to do it that is one thing so how are you benefiting patients by squeezing these rates dry you're not leaving hospitals with any margin in case something goes wrong with the patient there is no provision in these for something going wrong and you requiring additional stay the burden straight away comes on you right there is no provision for emergency charges in case the patient lands up with a critical emergency requiring further hospitalization requiring an icu stay it's all included in this amount they're not going to pay you 1 rupee more also i had a patient who came to my hospital on a sunday evening with severe bleeding and the patient required an emergency cesarean section the patient was hepatitis b positive they paid only 11000 rupees for the entire treatment that also after 2 years so how does this thing work i mean it's not surprise that people really and if you say that this is good for the patient how is it good for the patient it's not right now the third thing you said is that uh, the scheme is doing well in some states yes so the scheme is doing well in some states the scheme is not doing uh, where the healthcare is uh, was not very great the scheme is doing well but if you look at the procedures that are being done right the states which are considered like northeastern states the coverage is very good some states and even in the northeast have got a fabulous coverage of more than 90% of patients are opting for treatment under this in same similar area there are not even 30% in the other states so some states it it is doing well compared to other states there must be some local factors involved where you know they are able to uh, they have a very low running cost involved because you know uh, the salary burden the smaller places you go to the salary burden is comparatively very low whereas in a metro city like mumbai uh, the salary burden is very very high so when you go to that's why i said you if you remember tier 3 cities you know tier 3 is the only place where you can expect these schemes to work tier 3 and rural hospitals are the only place where you can expect because their salary burden is very low by comparing to uh, a metro city like mumbai where the where the salary burden is huge it's huge i mean jo jo nurse koi rural area mein 5 6000 mein kaam karegi we will be paying that person 25 30000 and there is no provision for a cost difference in you know area to area the other thing why it can be doing well in some states is because of integration with the existing local scheme in that state which is offering better tariffs so that differential tariff goes directly from the state government if the if the state is offering a tariff which is higher than the uh, pmj by tariff the central government will pay 60% or whatever they have agreed up to uh, the amount which is contributed in that pmj by rate and the balance amount the state funds out so many of the states actually the schemes are very good like andhra the scheme is uh, good karnataka has got a good scheme they have integrated at pmj by but the package remuneration which they are giving to the local players is higher considerably higher than what is being paid under pmjy so you know that is one thing but then the hit additional cost hit is taken by the states and it's not completely uh, funded as as it is in these cases 
Okay, so now let me take a a couple of questions, Amit, because uh, uh, we want to talk about uh, Omicron, the Mogambo variant, also. But before that, I want to take a few questions. So, somebody has made a comment question. I don't know how to say it. So, someone says pricing is a double-edged sword. Uh, do we want prices increasing so much like the uh, US? What's the balancing act between market forces and government price control? That is the first question. And then they add a comment saying one of the failures of Obamacare. was that private insurances insurers were running losses cause of obamacare because there was no price control these insurance in turn sued the us government to paid pay for those losses and also i remember clearly in the case of obamacare what had happened was because they had to cover up for patient a they ended up hiking the insurance rates of other patients so somebody else was paying for someone else now honestly in a socialist world a socialist would say yes you're supposed to pay for them because you make more money so what would you um, uh, how would you balance out this amit the comment made by this viewer so the whole concept of insurance is this only you know that someone else pays for your treatment <laughs> that's how insurance works na no? because you know thousand people paying for one person's treatment in the hope that they may be that one person right so the premium is collected from a thousand people and ultimately one out of 1000 requires treatment that's how insurance works that's how the model itself is and uh, in the us it's highly commercialized uh, compared to india uh, you know and the insurance companies have actually ended up driving the cost of treatment way higher than they should and i'll tell you as a as a rule of thumb uh, if someone else is paying for your treatment they will pay more right so this is one problem which the insurance uh, companies will keep facing because more people will go for treatments which probably they could have avoided if they were wanting to pay for it themselves i'll give you an example what what sort of things are covered right you know uh, the uh, lgbtq movement and hey, what's happening in campuses where uh, you know transitioning happens without even informing the parents that your child is transitioning all of the treatment including injections of testosterone including sex change surgeries is all paid for by the insurance company not by the patient okay and that also the university is buying the so there is a lot of wasteful criminally wasteful expenditure that was totally avoidable which is being done the payouts uh, are uh, also reducing for uh, doctors and for uh, other procedures also in the us but when technological advances keep taking place it's difficult for them to come in the pharmacy uh, for pharmaceutical cost is way way higher than what it is here right like you can buy 100 tablets uh, in india for for what you would get one single pill in the us so there is in short what i'm trying to say is that the us model is a extremely highly inflated model as far as healthcare is concerned and uh, there are a lot of factors because of which that happens because you know people get sued also proportionately they get sued for millions and millions of dollars be uh, large corporates get sued for uh, hundreds of millions of dollars so you know uh, from where will that money also be accounted for at the end of the day somebody is going to pay for that right and if you are going to give millions of dollars to each patient who's ended up with the problem you will eventually end up distributing that cost over all the other people who require treatment na that's what is going to happen and that's what is happening the lawyers are the ones driving the cost up 
in in other words pharmaceutical cost can come down but the number of regulations they have to comply with are huge right the research costs involved in the us are are very high right primary research costs involved are very high and also there is a very little governmental control because a lot of these corporates actually are funded by the government they take research money from the uh, government and then eventually don't pass on the benefits to the end user and by and large uh, you know the us governments have been sitting on it because the pharma lobby is a very very powerful lobby over there so they are you know they have more or less you can say been responsible for the mess that they are in right now and i don't see them having any solution because the way the healthcare is structured healthcare cannot really be capitalist uh, you know it, it doesn't uh, work that way you have to have kind of uh, some some element of control uh, if you want to enable public to get treated at a cheap cost the indian model is you can say very very opposite to uh, this model where traditionally the low cost healthcare players have been the ones providing most of the healthcare and that model is now getting distorted because the government thinks that larger hospitals are better and can and can reduce the cost but have they really reduced the cost no right what what procedure can be done at a small nursing home a large hospital is going to charge you more than that right because they have a larger infrastructure to maintain so you know there is a kind of distorted perception one as you said the economies of scale it doesn't work in healthcare the larger hospitals end up you end up paying more than you would right uh, in uh, insurance companies stepping into uh, private healthcare in india also there are a lot of challenges because uh you know there is no uh, you know there is no literally place where if the claim is not uh, if the insurance company today gives me a payment guarantee and tomorrow says i'm not going to pay there is no place where the hospitals can go in appeal also i mean that that's what the current situation literally is you know so insurance companies uh, in india work very differently from the ones in the us as of now eventually and in fact in insurance companies may even dictate what treatment is to be followed in the us they can't dictate over here so there are very big fundamental differences the insurance model is not a good model to follow in all fairness i'm telling you public healthcare is a much better model to follow i will say the nhs model is a way better model to follow but it is very inefficient because you know your appointment systems are very delayed and everything by comparison so us model is not a good model as far as healthcare is concerned and certainly not one where which india can afford to take so that's why if you realize what devi shetty had said uh, long back is that cap the amount of compensation potentially payable uh, under consumer protection act he had said this many times he said this that you cap it because if you want to keep the overall cost low you cannot afford to make the same mistakes that us has made or maybe you know other countries have made because these things every little bit is going to go on adding to the cost <clears throat> so there are a lot of ways to uh, you know in which this can be worked out got it so so just to summarize amit because uh, i want to talk about uh, omicron too so just to summarize so what i have understood from this is the as of now the, the aim of this podcast was not to say whether ayushman bharat sh- should be shut the aim of this podcast was to say look 
we think these are the shortfalls in the scheme this the intent of the scheme is actually laudable if you tweaked it here and there maybe there would be a pickup if you think it is perfect fine there are hospitals in india that are running currently on the scheme of ayushman bharat doing whatever they are they might go on run, uh, running it on that scheme now if somebody uh, it, it's not like you have to run on ayushman bharat yes the state governments do try to pressure private players in their own uh, ways subtly to get on board get on board but eventually you know not every private hospital is going to get on board and that now the onus is on the state if they're not able to convince a huge chunk of the private players in the marketplace of india to get on board with the scheme then there is has to be something wrong and you cannot put everything down to greed and i get that and uh, not has amit suggested that this is a bad scheme or anything all amit is saying that if you could make these changes and maybe you know if you present new data amit might change his mind so you know you can contact amit on twitter you can send some new data across to amit and amit is a very open minded guy if you show show him evidence he might even change his mind but amit now let us g- get into the the new syapa as they say in punjabi uh, so abhi Abhi, what the hell is going on, Amit, as far as the Omicron variant is concerned? So what are your views on the state of affairs right now? So I take it up to you now. So we already have a very horrible variant called Delta over here. So, you know, it's not it's done whatever damage it could. And I don't think there's much that there is that is left for Omicron to do over here now. So what I'm saying is that see uh, our vaccination program has gone good. Uh, most of the second doses which were given, uh, in fact, even a lot of the first doses which have been given are actually in the second half of this year. No one, uh, you know, uh, most of the you know the population which has been covered has been from May onwards when the vaccination program really picked up. and that's actually not 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 even the sec- second dose is most of these cases is not even 4 months back so i don't know why we are even talking about a booster for the entire population as of now you we haven't even given the second dose to about uh, 40% of the eligible population yet right now maybe you can say the um, now why i'm bringing up the topic of booster right away because people have been constantly bombarding that uh, omicron aa gaya booster lagana chahiye sabko which is nonsense first of all uh, we aren't using mrna vaccines which will disappear from the system in six months uh, mrna vaccines those who have been using and that also particularly pfizer there is a problem because the efficacy really falls fast i wrote an entire article on on this as to why and in fact today in the icmr uh, press briefing they repeated quite a lot of what uh, more or less similar lines to what i had said that the mrna vaccine seem uh, and especially pfizer because it's a low dose mrna vaccine tends to lose its efficacy very quickly because uh, uh, the immune system isn't responding that well to it t cell immunity isn't really happening very well with it whereas uh, you know a vaccine like what we are using astrazeneca or covaxin uh, 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 are comparatively uh, you know the the immunity is showing up at least much later also Now, out of this also i will say that covaxin uh, uh, krishnaala has said that uh, he would be very happy if one booster additional is given at 6 months 
and covaxin being an inactivated uh, whole virion it kind of makes sense because the efficacy generally for whole uh, inactivated virion is slightly lower generally so for this particular vaccine to be given as a booster it's a extremely safe vaccine so i think the booster also should be fine but as far as uh, astrazeneca is concerned when the second dose itself is being given so late at at 3 months uh how can anybody say that in another 3 months the efficacy will be gone because the reason why you're giving the second dose at 3 months is because the vaccine the first dose is supposed to work very well for even up to 3 months right now delta being a much worse uh, strain than omicron from all the data that we are seeing right now delta looks like a much worse uh, strain than omicron omicron the, the most of the cases are actually comparatively mild very few cases in the icu and only one reported death from omicron which was in the U, uh, which was in the uk till now out of some i think what 27000 cases in the world till now so for all practical purposes omicron is showing up as a milder disease right as of now uh, for being worried about a milder strain and panicking and giving boosters to your entire population i think it's kind of silly uh, the higher risk population will need boosters eventually right people who with comorbidities people uh, who are very elderly with a little poor immune response people who are immunocompromised and don't have adequate response these people you will need to give something additional for uh, you know ensuring that they are okay but i don't see any much problem with omicron as such the same medicines work the same tests used to diagnose them right and a milder course in general so i don't know why people are freaking out so much <laughs> just to uh, add one more question to my query over here is I, i'm really confused so today i read a bloomberg article which said south africa hospitalization rate plunges in the omicron wave this is written by anthony swazin it was december 17th and i'm reading a quote uh, quote only 1.7% of identified covid-19 cases were admitted to hospital in the second week of infections in the fourth wave compared with 19% in the same week of the third delta driven wave um then now i'm completely conf confused because then there was this uh, uh imperial college study from uk that says no in the uk the results are uh, different now amit my question to you is that now yesterday i just checked see this is this is you know honestly playing with people so everybody was like uk records 86000 or 89000 cases yesterday aur sabko dara rahe hain baith ke nobody said ki they have increased the number of testing they are literally testing more i am not against testing more by the way that is a good thing that they are doing they are trying to cover a larger area of their population so that they find out the spread but the real target what i i have not understood this this in the entire covid discussion our target should not be the number of covid positive cases we get our target should always be on a week on week basis how many deaths and how many hospitalizations we get major amount of people are vaccinated vaccines were never going to be 100% effective anybody who thinks like that has some issues in life but the point is then why why are people not being educated in the proper way amit <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's high time we stop testing asymptomatic people. <laughs> you know, in in this this happened in uh, in uh, recently in Maharashtra also, where fifty policemen tested positive in one go because some VIP visit was due to happen, and everyone was tested, and fifty asymptomatic cops tested positive. Right, they were all asymptomatic, fully vaccinated people. None of them had any problem whatsoever, actually. Right, none of them ever became symptomatic. So why exactly are we testing asymptomatics? Just to, I mean, this is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, even for uh, Omicron, how did they detect so many cases? Right, in the South Africa, about in the early days, about 66% of people who were diagnosed as uh, Omicron positive were actually admitted for some other treatment, and they were, as a routine, being sent for, you know. Uh, covid test karlo before this procedure is done and they all tested positive <laughs> so most of these guys are completely asymptomatic and uh, you know i don't see any reason why you know you should be really going after the absolute numbers even in the uk you look at the you look at the number of admissions it's not gone up by much i mean the number of positive cases if you have 70 80000 cases a day and your admissions are 700 800 what percentage is at 1% right and that's just the admissions and mortality even lesser than that and this is this is a country where it where the mortality itself was over 2% right uh, in in uk so what what exactly is being achieved by uh, you know by testing all these asymptomatic people you know really in in all fairness nothing much is actually happening to them right so they have the virus in their system and they are completely fine asymptomatic that means the vaccines are actually working well right why why this response i mean okay i have seen the chart of the uk government which says that astrazeneca is not effective against omicron the efficacy has fallen down sharply over 6 months but but that is for the overall number of positive patients alone like how many vaccinated patients are tested positive it's not the moderate severe cases at all that moderate severe number is extremely low it's compared to what it used to be the number i mean come on that that country was having a thousand deaths a day and it's not even having 800 admissions a day now that itself tells you the story that you know people aren't really getting that there are people who are getting sick no doubt i'm not saying nobody is getting sick but but the numbers are really less you know Okay, so somebody has asked this question, Amit. So someone has asked: Is Omicron going to be the variant that kills the Delta with a higher infection rate and a much lower in lethality? I mean, I, if you say we we can't say with surety right now, I'll totally understand. But I have a question for you. From all the things that we have in hand, that's what it looks like. I don't know whether it's going to kill Delta or you know just implode on its own. That only time can tell. uh right now in many countries like south africa 90% of cases that are being diagnosed are omicron so it it has a potential for explosive spread but i mean really what is the absolute numbers really you know how is that going to uh, change anything right so if your number of cases even in india uh, today in the icmr uh, press uh, presser which the the state the central government said that if you look at it in proportion uh, what's happening in france and in uk if we have that many number of cases with respect to our population it would come to around 15 lakh new cases a day right that's a very very 
huge number and they would want to avoid it because 15 lakh new cases a day means even if you take a lower side 15000 hospitalizations a day and you don't want that right so they will follow whatever protocols uh, have to be followed and we should also follow whatever basic protocols we've been following right uh, but beyond that i don't see any reason why we should be really freaking out because the last time we had that kind of numbers we we had a much much worse situation and most as i said most of our people are freshly vaccinated i really don't see why we should be so worried so there is another issue when it comes to this whole vaccination saga amit that we need to talk about this is something where i personally don't don't know what should be done but kids now america is clearly vaccinating everybody 11 and above um do you think india should also vaccinate children 11 and above no categorically i'm saying no because i only the higher risk kids who have serious uh, diseases or disorders you need to vaccinate them because they are high risk this is the only subgroup of children which actually is landing up in the hospital because of covid no other healthy normal jumping around child is generally landing up in the hospital by and large and the mortality in children uh, is as low as 0.002% okay so it's extreme and that's for delta not even omicron uh, so now that's one in right uh, it's very very low right how much does that come out to it's really less right? it's one in 20000 now you consider this that in the west why there is such a big uproar about it is because mrna vaccines are being given to kids the chances of myocarditis is 1 in 10000 in young male population so how are they helping kids they are not really going to, so i am not keen to vaccinate kids at all except the high risk population okay once they are somewhere close to adulthood 16 18 then uh, you can give them the vaccine but i really don't see any role of vaccinating kids as of now and uh, i don't think the risk benefit ratio matches up uh, children get covid and they do not have by and large any symptoms at all they have fever or cough cold for a day or two and beyond that usually they are almost asymptomatic after the first two three days and uh, some systemic inflammatory response cases have been definitely reported and while uh, in the second wave in mumbai all the hospitals were overflowing terribly the ipcus uh, were also full this is one thing which people don't probably know that intensive care units pediatric intensive care units were also running full but they were never overflowing and despite running full the mortality in them was extremely low so really children are very low risk for severe disease right and i don't think there is too much of a role for vaccinating kids as of now if at all something has to be given zycov can be given covaxin can be given there is certainly zero role of mrna vaccines or covishield in in young population uh, there is no role these two at least can avoid but by and large if you look at it i don't really see much of a role for uh, vaccinating kids okay amit one more thing i had a question about there is a lot of discussion about this i don't know why to see such an angry response from so many people this is a question of natural immunity now you and i have a common friend uh, jemin 
who got covid when he went to delhi now jemin got covid and you know uh, jemin i'm sorry maine tera naam liya agar tujhe pasand nahi aaya main advance mein maafi mang raha hu do galiyan de dena twitter pe but uh, the point is that you know jemin got covid then he was fine he recovered fully well and then he took the two doses now you know this whole booster fetish and also this this whole thing about the strategy of tackling covid now why why is natural immunity through co- i am not saying jaake covid le lo obviously magar abhi ho gaya to kya kare ho gaya jisko to ho gaya now in in that scenario why is so there are so many studies in israel that clearly show natural immunity tends to last longer in fact i had uh, if you remember amit i had shared you a whole link of all the reports of natural immunity that people are gathering around the world now i i get it i take it with a pinch of salt and you had told me you should also take this with a grain of salt but i it it's not like immunity towards covid is only going to be through vaccination why can't hybrid be considered so in the case of boosters how can you make something like that compulsory what if somebody had two shots they got covid aren't they as good as you know getting a booster in that scenario and why is this resistance yeah, so actually people who have already had covid should be treated on par with vaccinated people i don't think we need to vaccinate them again uh because is now pretty much accepted that people who have had uh, covid are very low risk for getting a recurrence or a relapse of the disease or reinfection also that's very low it's like one in uh, 2000 people it's very low 0.2 0.3% very 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 low numbers so you know uh i don't think there is any uh, you know Uh, real problem in considering people who have already had covid as uh, on par with fully vaccinated you don't need to go around vaccinating them again for the again the high risk population in them you can give a booster dose uh, one shot of uh, vaccine can be given additional but again two doses also i don't think are required now all the studies which have been done also uh, on uh, one dose vaccination after covid have said that this is very much more than enough and one vaccination dose after uh, after a proper covid infection is uh, better than two doses of vaccination uh, given but again these studies were mainly on mrna vaccines which we know now are really the efficacy does fall uh, afterwards uh, so yeah there is a i mean all immunity is natural right at the end of the day whatever immunity you are getting is natural immunity only because the body will react exactly in the same way to the spike protein in the vaccine as it will to the spike protein in the virus itself so then if the mechanism is the same the production is except that the number of points on the surface of the virus which are going to be identified and attacked are going to be more in a in the original thing but also you are taking the risk of the disease right at the end of the day so natural immunity all immunity is natural but it the when the original thing comes in front of you obviously that you know the body will react a little bit maybe differently you can say because it will have multiple points on which to attack compared to uh, just the vaccine which will be a limited so even in the inactivated whole virion is the concept is that only that you're presenting the entire virus uh, so the immune response is better and uh, of a superior quality but again that virus is inactivated and killed and and you know it's it's not not an intact virus right it's uh 
it's uh, so so that also may be slightly lesser uh, in uh, efficacy as far as that is concerned but yes uh, natural immunity is a is a real thing and all immunity is natural immunity but getting uh, getting covid is uh, definitely it creates a long lasting immunity there's no doubt and if you look at sars cov1 with the original sars cov1 virus people who had sars cov1 showed good titers of antibodies in as far later as 17 years so yeah i mean you do get long term immunity so i don't see any problem as far as allowing people uh, you know who are post covid to be on par with vaccinated people so also what do you make of the zero surveys across india x number of people have antibodies y number of people there is one side that says we should take them with a grain of salt the other side says they are not valid at all so so what's your view on the entire zero survey thing i don't know why people say it's not valid <laughs> Yeah, of course it's valid. I mean, you look at uh, the way polls are, you know, uh, exit polls are conducted. You do a survey of five, six thousand people, and then you make projections for an entire state, right? And 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 they get it right most of the time, right? <laughs> so yeah, and this is much easier than that because the complexities involved are much fewer, right? In that, if you have to tell caste, you have to tell uh, age, sex, this, that, and यहाँ पर क्या है factors? कुछ नहीं, खाली positive या negative. so i don't know why people think that uh, representative samples are uh, you know not reliable they are pretty reliable actually and itna gross error nahi ho sakta hai like mumbai jaise city mein non vaccinated population is 79% of them are showing antibodies and vaccinated population 90% are showing antibodies right so there's i mean that kind of error can't happen <laughs> It's, it's too big some you know it's too too much of, for for being an error like in gorakhpur 98% of population has antibodies <laughs> literally every single person you tested how can you say that it's not right <laughs> right so i think antibodies uh, we can safely and, and at the end of the day we, we are seeing you know uh, in mumbai the first wave all the slum areas were hit and the second wave slum areas were hardly affected right mainly the building people who were affected the slums were not that badly hit by comparison so we are seeing that happening also no? so i don't know why there is no real discrepancy in what we are observing and uh, uh, and what the zero survey is telling us okay one more question amit and then maybe we'll wrap it up so somebody has asked is long covid still a thing and then they asked was it because of a person's immune response or due to wrong medication it's not because of any wrong medication or anything long covid is a real thing and uh, many people it's not only with covid you get these sort of chronic uh, body ache joint pains illnesses and uh, you know uh, even uh, psychological disturbances and lot of other things you get these sort of things in many many types of viral infections it's not only covid like the the most notorious being chikungunya where you can develop crippling arthritis over a lifetime uh, you know just by having chikungunya so it's not uh, something which is uncommon even for other diseases so long covid is definitely a thing and even people who have had mild disease can get long covid 
brain fog is a very real thing a lot of patients with covid have complained of brain fog it's very very real the feeling of weakness the feeling of shortness of breath for many months is very real right the, the lung damage which is visible on scans goes away eventually but but there are consequences to this uh, to this disease though eventually maybe 6 8 months down the line or a year down the line most patients are going to be fine very few will have long term debilitating uh, problems beyond a year generally 6 months most of the people should be but definitely long covid is a thing and it's not the only disease in which this happens all right uh, amit before we wrap today up i would request you to tell everybody a bit about uh, you know uh, the charity work that you guys do at pehl so uh, because i've already left the link in the description of the podcast also but i do want to talk, you know i want you to talk about even a recent video that you shared on youtube so can you give me a basic idea and how people can go and uh, and maybe even check the work out and if they want to contribute to the process so could you tell us a little bit about that before we wrap today's podcast yeah so you know we have a small trust called pehl uh, uh, services and through that we mainly concentrated on education and health uh, over the years education health after that we've added of course uh, livelihood generation child abuse and neglect also but most of our activities are in the field of education and health and you know been on the covid front lines over the last uh, now almost 2 years and uh, it, you know we saw first and how families were getting destroyed literally you know people losing multiple family members people losing the main bread earner in their house and it was extremely traumatic also to watch uh, this happening you know and uh, like my better half is the one basically who drives uh, the thought behind it and she was also extremely upset and hum log ne socha kuch to karna chahiye hum log ko iske liye so since our forte is education we thought okay we will support the uh, kids who have lost either one or both parents to covid and then we started this initiative called uh, project sharan and under which we started supporting the education of these children and paying paying their school fees eventually we ended up paying also college fees for some children and uh, also sponsoring their books sponsoring their uh, uh, you know uh, stationery and other things and uh, in some cases even paying for the where the schools are functioning then even paying for the uh transportation school bus and other things the idea is that we don't want any kids to be left out of uh, school and uh, already up to about uh, uh, 117 beneficiaries we have managed to help we had initially thought that we'll try to help around uh, 100 but actually we ended up around 117 till now and the numbers are likely to go up further and uh, so this is uh, where the things are and this was done via google form which was circulated along uh, social media as well as among uh, you know the population at large uh, so these this is an all india project actually project sharan is an all india project so we have most of the beneficiaries are in the two states where we do our maximum work maharashtra and uh, up but uh, also we have you know people from other states who have been benefited some kids in rajasthan 
some one one person from uh, west bengal so there have been people from other states also who have been benefited but most of the beneficiaries are in these two states uh, of course uh, you are most welcome to contribute to it you can just go on the website uh, and you can contribute via website or you can contact me directly if you don't want to you know if you want to uh, you know help us identify more people who have such a requirement because we are very specific we are you know supporting for uh, people who have lost their relatives to covid uh, the children right so general public ko hum help dusre tarike se kar sakte hain in other things but this project is very specific for uh, covid so other things that we do is uh, we support around 500 children for their education in these are children in the state run homes then there are children whom uh, we support at we are doing a community education project which is run at a, a temple complex in lucknow which is called uh, buddheshwar temple so there we teach the children of the street vendors who had fallen out of school uh, uh, you know due to the lockdown so since the lockdown we started taking uh, classes for them so that also project is going on very well and then in one of the homes in lucknow whether we were working with the girls who are mainly poxco victim girls we started uh, livelihood projects over there also so tailoring embroidery and beautician courses are being done over there so a lot of good work is being done and it's you know. awesome all right guys so if you want to su- support amit uh, and uh, and the uh, and the work they do i have as you saw i shared the the link of the website on the screen itself but i know some of you or many of you listen to the audio version so any case in the description of this podcast will be the link to the foundation where the work is done i have personally seen a lot of work amit and uh, anjana both of them do it is excellent um, i would uh, request each and every one of you to go and uh, support their work uh, they these are good people who do great things and uh, i've learned a lot uh, you know knowing them over the years about the problems people face and uh, and and you know what even when it comes to ayushman bharat i say this again here amit points out if you disagree with amit you know uh, again amit is there on twitter uh, and on many other social media platforms reach out to him tell him doc this is the data that i find out now tell me what do you think about it and may, and amit will give you a hearing the point the aim of this podcast was not to criticize the government the aim of this podcast is to make sure that the policy and the intention of the government with which they design a policy which is for the success of a policy it should actually do that so we'll wrap today's discussion up amit as always it's a pleasure talking to you thanks a lot for coming thank you very much prashant and uh was really a nice discussion and hopefully we'll catch up again all right guys time to end today's podcast as always if you like the podcast please subscribe to the channel like the video leave a comment go follow amit on twitter go and check their work out at pehel.co.in support their work if you want to support the podcast that i host well please become a member on youtube go and become a subscriber on patreon or buy the merch or send your donations through upi i will see you next week with another discussion until then namaste take care goodbye